Here we go. Three, two, one. It is a Monday edition of Flyers Daily, which means one thing. Consistency is important. We are on schedule. It is a Monday with Meltzer. You can read his work on NHL.com, HockeyBuzz.com, and of course, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. All around good guy. It is Bill Meltzer. Billy, how we doing? Doing doing well. Um, you know, some some news to, to talk to as we get into this. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still, what, about 70-something days now from, from the start? Yeah, I think we're about 70, I want to say 72 days away from uh, the Flyers starting. Their, let me give you the exact number on that. Uh, se- yeah, 73 days from the Flyers season start on October 13th at Wells Fargo against the New Jersey Devils. And we're going to get into the effect of coaching and this coaching staff in just a moment. But let's start where you just mentioned with some news. We've gotten some news over the past couple of weeks that obviously Morgan Frost signed his uh, uh, RFA contract. Tanner Lisinski signed his contract, Isaac Ratcliffe. And then we get news on Friday that Owen Tippett has signed a two-year deal with an average annual value of $1.5 million. Though I thought he was going to get maybe a little bit more than that. I thought he was around a 1-9 guy. Yeah, I, I thought I thought in the $2 million range. Um, you know where you're where you're paying for, and you're you're paying for potential rather than performance, but there, it's a player who has all the tools to succeed and really played better than his numbers showed. I mean, he had all kinds of scoring chances. That's kind of been the story of his NHL career so far. But you take a guy who can skate like he can, who can shoot like he can, good size. You know, he's he's a shoot first guy. He. Former first round pick. I mean, everything is there for him to to bust out at some point. Even if he, even if he's kind of a streaky guy his whole career, which I think may be the case with Owen. He might might be a guy who, you know, gets you seven goals in eight games, and he might go twelve without one. Um, but another hot streak will be in the other end of that. I think he might end up being that kind of a player. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, but the final totals will look pretty good. I, I, he's he's one of the guys I think really could could break loose this coming season. Yeah, with the with the Charlotte Checkers, he had uh, reported over a point per game, eighteen points, six goals, fourteen assists in twelve games, and had a point in eleven of the twelve games played last season. Obviously, played some time in Florida last year. Was the tenth overall pick uh, back in that twenty seventeen NHL draft. One that's been uh, widely talked about, panned at points at the top, but not necessarily in the middle. Um, and a tenth overall pick signs this extension, two year deal for him too. I think that's important, Bill, because I think. You know, players, when they're on that last year, the deal, like the business element, I talked with Tanner Lisinski about this, and he actually kind of disagreed with me that, that, you know, you should always be playing with, you know, playing for your job. And and I totally agree with that. But a guy like Owen Tippett with the two-year deal can not worry about playing for a contract this season and can go out and just execute and, and dial his game in at the NHL level and prove uh, that he's worthy of the 10th overall pick in that draft. Yeah, and, and I mean, honestly, different players, I, I, different players. It's a different story. With some guys are really motivated by the contract year, and other guys, it, it can be, it can be a way, you know, a little weight on their shoulders. Um, Tippett, I think Tippett, I think is a good thing. We're, you know, we're we talking about being a stabilizing year for the Flyers. That's John John Tortorella has referred to that, and and um, especially Chuck Fletcher's referred to it as that recently. I, I think. I think just in terms of, you know, finding his equilibrium in the NHL, knowing around about what his spot in the lineup is, and starting to produce before he has his next contract drive, I think I think that could be a good thing, you know, for Tippett. 
it's confidence a player might seem. I think every every player goes through those periods of self doubt because they're they're used to having so much success, and that final that final barrier to the NHL where you're you know, you've played some games in the league, you maybe had a taste a little taste of success, but it hasn't come on a consistent basis yet. You know, I, I, a lot of young players are not used to that. You know, they they're used to being the best player in their team, the focal point for their team, and to get to that next to get to that next level where they're producing consistently in the NHL, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that is mental. Um, one of the things with Tippett, I think when you go back and look at the four goals he did score and they were scored in four, four kind of different ways, but the common thread in all four of them, we didn't have time to think, right. Yeah. Just react, shoot get it off. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, I think getting over that hump sometimes where he's, he's has a breakaway and he's not overthinking it or, you know, he, he's staring at the net and, and a play set up for him rather than overshooting, just, just treating that, you know, get it on the net. And, you know, and the puck has so much movement, it's going to go in a fair share of the time anyway. I, I think just getting over those those remaining hurdles are, are, are really the challenge for him. And I think having, having a two-year framework to do that in is a good thing for him. I do. No doubt. And, you know, one of the things I saw you replied to a tweet uh, – stream that I was on as well and the guy said that the Flyers got nothing back for Giroux. Um he said he got a conditional first, an AHL player, tip it, a hockey it has a hockey name and that's it. He could have done more to find a better trade. And I know you responded to it. And you know the thing about it is is a couple of things. First of all, he's not related to Dave Tippett. So right. <laughs> while he shares the same last name, it's not uh, a legacy situation. And he, he didn't get a conditional pick. It's there's you know, vari- variables with the pick. Uh, but I know you talked about it. You said, you know, they were limited to a single trade partner because Giroux would only wait for Florida. Yeah. Um, Tippett has good wheels, a heavy shot, may always be streaky, but clearly an NHL player, I totally, and his skating to me is way better than I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the third point you made is that the condition is what year the first rounder falls, 24 or 25, not whether they get it. But the big thing here, Bill, is we really can't judge this Giroux trade in totality until we see all elements of the return. Right. Right, and you know, I, I, that's that's exactly right. I mean, Tippett is still a lot of pro, there's a lot of promise there. We'll see we'll see what that translates to, and the the pick is still a couple of years off. So, you know, you have to you have to judge it in the long term for under the circumstances of dealing with a single trade partner that you know offered you a deal and they, they never really moved off of it. You know, they it was it was Tippett and the twenty twenty four first rounder really consistently that was the crux of it so you know florida didn't have to move because florida was aware that they were bidding against themselves so they increased the trade offer yeah. all things considered you know that, that that's not bad it's, it's not a bad return considering you're dealing with only a single trade partner so you know so on, on that basis in the short term they did they did as, as well as they could and the long term it, it may turn out just fine Absolutely. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, you know, with the kind of finalization now of the Flyers coaching staff, staff Rocky Thompson has announced. We got Brad Shaw, uh, who was on the podcast uh, earlier uh, in one of the last couple episodes, maybe last week even. If you missed that, go check it out because I thought it was a really interesting discussion. And I think he is a really important element to this coaching staff, Brad Shaw. Rocky Thompson will be as well running the power play, which we know needs to improve not a little bit drastically. But this notion, I saw Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic tweet out that 
He said, good coaching can go a long way towards making a bad team at least decent. So I responded to that in a quote tweet, and I was looking for some examples. And I said, I keep thinking about this theory and who it has applied to in the NHL recently. He said, I, w- I said it wouldn't wasn't the case for Montreal to get to a final. I mean, they fired Dom Ducharme the next season last year. Uh, maybe Rick Bonus in Dallas, who I think did a really good job with that team, got them to a final and also you know, made them competitive when I thought that they had some issues as well. They get Ottinger this year, and obviously that's a big element of it for them. Uh, but I look at the the effect of coaching and, and that notion, Bill, that good coaching can make a bad team decent. Do you buy into that? Do you know, any examples that really kind of fit the bill there for you? I, I do. I, I, you know, I can think of a couple of examples. Um, I think the most recent one, and the team turned out to be better than they looked on paper going into the next season, right? But Look at what Barry Trotz did in in uh, for the Islanders, where yeah. they were they missed the playoffs by a wide margin, had the worst goals against in the league. The next the next year they were you know, a playoff team and they went from last to first in goals against average without without a big roster turnover. The biggest roster turnover was that they lost John Tavares. Yeah, they lost their best player. <laughs> they lost their best player, right? So you know, and then then other players, Barzell stepped up, and you know other young players stepped up, and and Anders Lee really started to hit his prime. And so, so, I mean, it was a combination of talent and coaching, but you know, I think the coaching was the biggest part of it. The biggest reason why they had such dramatic turnaround was coaching. The structure, right? Yeah, the, definitely. Definitely the adherence to structure was huge. And another case I can think of, um, you know, and I have to go back a little further than this, but this was a probably legitimately bad team on paper going into it. Um, you go back to 2009-10, and, I mean, the Coyotes were a mess. Nothing had worked out with Wayne Gretzky. Uh, the, the team's finances were a mess, so much so that the NHL had to take over ownership of the team while they were trying to find some stable ownership for, uh, for, for the franchise. Um, every you know, every pundit picked picked uh, the Coyotes for last in the West or bottom three in the NHL. You know, and Dave Tippett came in as coach, and once again, it was largely adherence to structure, and Lo and behold, they were a hundred point playoff team that year. Yeah. Um, now, now that was the year Brisgala was a Vezina finalist, and you know, but a lot of it was really based on the, the everybody bought in. It, a, it was a an us against the world. Everybody predicts us for last. You know, we don't even have an owner of the team. The league is the league has stepped in. We're we're a uh, cap floor team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And uh, yes, it was goaltending too, but but goaltending always goes in with systems and team play. You can't. So you can't totally untie the two things. And so, you know, Tippett comes in, everybody buys in, and lo and behold, lo and behold they, the team overachieved by, by leaps and bounds that year. Um, you know, he, and, and, you know, every, everything, has a, everything has a finite time period, right? But that, that was one of the best coaching jobs I've seen in, in the modern era from, from a team that went in with literally no expectations. Yeah, I mean, their leading scorer that year was Shane Dome with 55 points. He had 18 right. goals and 37 assists. Matthew Lombardi was the second leading scorer. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup uh, between him and somebody that I know. Uh, Rodham yeah. Verbata, Keith Yandel, fourth in scoring on that team when he was 23 years of age. Ed Jovanovsky at 33 was on that team. Hansel, Scotty Upshaw, um, you mentioned, obviously, you know I- Ilya Brizgalov, who had a great season that year, 69 games played. A record of 42, 20, and six. And they finished the year with a record of 50, 25, and seven. Like you said, 107 points. That is a hell of a job. 
uh, in a tough spot there. Jason LaBarrera was the uh, backup goalie there as well. Yeah. We're spending time with the fans. Yeah. So very interesting. Uh, let me ask you about, cause some of the, you know, one of the, it's one of the notions when it comes to Tortorella that he's going to put the flyers in the murky m- middle again. You know, one of the guys that responded to my tweet said the blues Kings and Bruins in the uh, 2011 to 2019 timeframe, none of them had superstars. He said, I think goaltending and coaches is the reason why most teams are successful because the Maple Leafs and Oilers have superstars and they still can't make it to the finals. The Blues, I would agree. They didn't have a superstar. Ryan O'Reilly is a star, but not a superstar. Maybe the same thing for Tarasenko. They rode Biddington uh, in that, and they also had Petrangelo on the blue line. But the Kings, I look at, in those years, they won the Cup in 12 and 14, Bill. I mean, they had Quick, who was otherworldly. Kopitar, who was a top-five center in the game, two-way center. And they also had Drew Doughty, who was absolutely a superstar, the way he was playing at that time in his career. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's always, you know. Not to mention Carter Richards and everybody else, Dustin Penner, you know, all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. That that was a, those are very deep teams. Um, And those are teams. What was interesting about those teams, you know, Jason, was that they, when they won the the cups those two years, they were kind of laying in the weeds to some degree, especially the first cup year. Yeah, they came, uh, they know, came back from an 03 deficit to, to go on and win that cup. That, that, the, that was, yeah, the second cup. They came back from an 03 deficit. Yeah. And then from that. then on, there was no stopping them. Yep. You know, the, the, first, the first cup that they won, people forget. And besides covering the Flyers, I was covering the Stars at, at that point, too, covering both teams. Um, you know, on April the 2nd, Dallas was in first place in the Pacific. And they basically. The bottom dropped out after April second. That was I think the season ended on April eighth, um, you know. And then the Kings got hot. I mean, but but if Dallas if Dallas would have had a winning record over the remaining games, they'd have been in, and LA would have even missed the playoffs. A little like the Flyers in twenty ten, where they got in the final game of the season. You know, they I mean, you know, LA just got hot at, at the just the right time, and they had they had the talent all along. Actually, the, actually, Terry Murray started the year as coach, and they, they finished with Sutter. But they couldn't score. They could not score at all. And suddenly they got hot at the right time, and they carried it, they carried it through the end. And then they, you know, then when they won the second cup, um, you know, again, they were down they were down 0-3 in a playoff round. I think it was even the first round. And, um, you know, they go on, win the series, and win the cup. So there, there are a lot of lessons from those teams. But they, the coaching aspect, too, was – Huge for it. It was a great coaching job by Sutter. It also it also tells you sometimes the way you sequence coaches. Yeah, it's really important too. Uh, you know, when Terry Murray took over, they had no identity. They were a team that, that need to learn how to play defensive hockey and you know learn learn to quote unquote play the right way, right? And then Sutter Sutter added another element. Maybe if you would reverse the order, you know, maybe they wouldn't have won the cup, or maybe Terry Murray would have come into a situation where. A team had everything but the structure, and he could have put them over the top. Really, you know that that's the thing too. Sometimes where it really it's very situational dependent, but there are there are bigger picture things you you can take away. Absolutely, I mean I look at it too, and that team, you know, the goaltending they got from Quick and I mean, they had great depth, and Justin Williams was on that team, and he was obviously in the playoffs just so clutch. I guess you could look at maybe Gallant in Vegas, but I kind of look at that as you know they were the island of misfit toys. And yeah. that was their calling that year. And maybe it was just like a, a destiny situation where all these guys, you know, were jettisoned from their other teams. Sometimes 
you know, sweeteners were sent for Vegas to take them. So that gives a lot of motivation to, to players to prove, you know, that they're worthy. And that combined with Marc-Andre Fleury and, you know, Gallant did do a good hell of a job that year. I don't know that he, that was the case for the Rangers this year. They look more legit to me um, than a team that was, you know, in essence, not very good and making a bad team at least decent. Plus, you had Shesterkin as a big factor there as well. And goaltending can always – I mean, it, it, find me a good coach, I find you a good goaltender, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what comes first? It, does it go hand in hand? I don't know. I, I think if you have a good goaltender, you got a chance. And that's the reason why you don't even think about moving on from Carter Hart through this process because he's still young and he can provide you good goaltending and he can grow from it. I think he grew from two years ago, that shortened season, into last year. And with some structure around him this year with Brad Shaw and John Tortorella and, you know, God willing, a little bit better health for the Flyers and luck, then, you know, he's can be poised to take another big step. No, I, I certainly think all of that is true. You know, I, I guess, you know, I guess the, the one caveat is it's an awfully tough division the Flyers play in. There's yeah. so many good teams in the division. And, you know, you're talking about coming off of a year where 100 points was, was the playoff cutoff. So, you know, I, I think there's every opportunity for the Flyers to be a better team and maybe even a significantly better team. There's just a lot of gap to make up. So there's, there's going to have to be a lot of things that, that go right on top of those other things to, you know, to make up. That. But, of course, by the same token, you know, some teams will come down a little bit too. So, um, you know, what, yeah, it's way too early to, to take any of these lessons and apply them to the Flyers. But just in hockey in general, Teams can absolutely overachieve through coaching, through structure, through goaltending, and then through some players who you never expected to step up or were waiting to step up. All of a sudden, the, all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on for some of those guys. I mean, there's there's many examples of all of those things. And coaching is a big part of that too, no question. No question. about getting the light bulb to go off for certain guys or taking guys to the next level by the way they are deployed and used. And we'll see what that is for the Flyers, whether that's a Travis Konechny that can regain his form and maybe then some, whether that's Kevin Hayes, who has a chance this summer to actually train and not rehab. And, you know, the multiple surgeries that he had heading into, you know, the first two thirds of that season, he looked, didn't look like an NHL player. He looked like a beer leaguer the way he was moving. And then he had that drainage situation and he came back from that and he looked like Kevin Hayes year one. In, in the final part of the season. So I think he takes that into the offseason and maybe can build on that. And then obviously Sean Couturier, and we'll see what he can do with Tortorella. You get the sense that that's a player that Torts will really like. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And just, you know, and we've talked a lot about the Flyers' issues with player development. You know, what what's beyond their control and has been a factor with so many of these guys, so, so many that it's, it's almost mind-boggling, has been injuries, you know? Uh, whether it's of a variety of uh, a variety of injuries as well. Yeah. yeah, whether it's hip, hip, hips and shoulders seem to be the the biggest thing, but but it's been other it's been other things too. Didn't Reckless have a lung? La, la, I had a collapsed lung. Yeah, broken <laughs> ribs and collapsed lung. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, you know, and then the guy like Lazinski hurt surgeries on both hips. You know, uh, Forster and Forster and Frost both had the same torn labrum in the shoulder. You know. And it's, it, I mean, it just takes takes guys a full year to come back from from that a lot of times. So, you know, so while um, you know, I I think it's too early to write off a lot of these guys. Is what I'm saying, and yeah. 
you know, you get you get you get a guy like uh, you know York takes the next step on, on the blue line, you know Tippett and Frost play like they're capable of. And again, it's probably as as Alan McCauley said, how how lucky is it that every player is going to step up? All these young guys, no, that, that that's you know probably unlikely that everybody's going to step up. But if a few do, then all of a sudden you you become a more dangerous team as well as some of these veterans who who had injury issues too. Yeah, that and and guys getting back on the right path, whether that's Konechny, whether that's Provorov. Yeah. Uh, can Sanheim build on last year as he heads into a year away from unrestricted free agency status? And, you know, the slander on a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen, but people conveniently forget. And I know that Anthony DeMarco mentioned this on Stick to Hockey Live, that he had heard from somebody in the organization that when both players were healthy and on the ice, they played 90% of their ice time together. Ristolainen and Sanheim. Sanheim gets lauded for the step he made. But when you're assessing defensemen in a pairing, they do go hand in hand. It's easier to assess a pairing of D-men than it is three forwards on an offensive line. And, you know, the effect that they can have on each other is more pronounced because it's the pair, the two in their job and how they complement each other. And a a lot of the Ristolainen slander doesn't take into consideration the, the step that Sanheim made last year. No, for sure. And then Sandheim would be the first one to tell you that. Yep. Um, you know, Travis is, is usually a guy of few words, but if you, you start talking about the pairing with, with Ristolainen, you know, he goes into some detail about, hey, you know what? I found I had I had a lot more space out there. I could make some plays, you know, and he credits Ristolainen with, with, with an element of that. And uh, yeah, with the forwards, you know, it, to me, you know, to, not to get too off track here, but to me, with forwards, the most effective forward lines. All three guys have a specific role in the line. You have your shooter, you have your playmaker, and then you have a guy who does a lot of the dirty work. You know, four checking in the D zone. Exactly, exactly right, right. And uh, you know that's a big part of turning offense into defense too. You have the guy who, who gets back in the back check and uh, helps you break out of the zone. I mean, all, all those things. Everybody has their role that they play. Um, and the same same thing too on a defensive pair. Um, you know, one guy, one guy might be the more physical guy. One guy might be the, you know, the more mobile guy who moves the puck. But nobody in the NHL truly carries a partner. That is a complete myth. If, you know, guy, the NHL is just too tough. The competition is too tough. Yeah. If, a, if a pairing's successful, it's never because of just one guy. Both both guys have a role to play, and one guy might, and you know, one guy might do more of a share of the the work with the puck and you know i i think that uh i, I think you, you could go down the line there i think for a lot of years and not to comp- not to compare it by any means sandheim and wrist line and to to mark Howe and, and brad McCrimmon because that's an unfair standard but you know for a lot of years Howe got all the credit and really how he would how he would tell you they never played with a better partner than, than the beast yeah um you know and and McCrimmon had a lot to do with it um you know, yeah, I, one no, guy I'm plays not, the 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 not sexy role, and the other guy plays the sexier role. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. I mean, the guy, the guy, the guy who adds more up ice tends tends to get a lot of the attention. But yeah, um, you saw it with Kimo Timonen and Braden Coburn. You saw it yeah. with uh, Eric Desjardins and Chris Terrian. Right, and, right, and Bundy Bundy was the complimentary partner on the pair. Yeah, but he was a perfect complement to to Desjardins, yep. or, or even you know, even. You know, and here's here's two guys of unequal ability, but you, you could look at you look at Pronger and Matt Carl. They really worked well together. They did because, because Carl, you know, because Carl did all the things that complemented 
you know, what what Pronger did, and then he added he added some things too to to the pairing too, like a quick stick, for example. Yep. You know, and uh, and and it, play, it played really well along with Pronger. Now you put uh, now you put Carl with other guys, maybe maybe you know, some of those pairings didn't work as well. But really, really, it's the combination of the two guys together that make it work. Yeah, and that, that's where it'll be interesting if Ryan Ellis is not available to see Tony D'Angelo with Ivan Provorov because you know D'Angelo did play on a top pair last year on a team that was really good defensively, seventh in the NHL last year, uh, were the Carolina Hurricanes and. You know, yeah, defense is not the the strong suit of Tony D'Angelo's game, and you will defend less because he is out there and he is a good passer to get that puck, you know, on zone exits and, and those kind of things to, and those second-chance opportunities from turnovers that you give it the opposition by not getting the puck out. That's Proveroff, That's not Proveroff's strong suit. No. It turns over the puck in that situation. But if you have a guy, and we saw it with Cam York with Proveroff to an extent, York is a guy that can make that either six or eight foot pass or that 20 foot stretch pass with extreme effectiveness. And you saw the dynamic of the pairing change because of the complementary nature of the partner. Big element there. And that's going to be a big thing to look at with Tony D'Angelo and Provorov, provided Ellis is not healthy. No, absolutely. And, you know, when you when you talk about defense also, there's, there's different aspects to it as well. You know, like uh, one thing that uh, – you know, I'll go back to when Shane Goss's bear was here. One thing Ghost was very good at, he didn't get a lot of credit for, was he was good at breaking up entries. So yep. he has a quick he had a quick stick in the defense. So his guys were even trying to enter enter the flyer zone. He'd break up a lot of plays before they even got into the zone. And then they then they would turn around and attack. That's that's why that year when he and Provar really clicked in 2017-18, that's that was a big part of that. Now Ghost, once the puck gets into your zone and you put it behind him, he has to go back and retrieve it and break out. He's vulnerable to the four, vulnerable to the forecheck, not great in coverage, etc. But but in terms of you know in terms of quick stick and and being able to make that first pass because Ghost was good at that too, making the pass out of the zone. Yeah, that that describes a lot of things that D'Angelo does well. So there is a chance for some chemistry on that pairing. You you know that you know that D'Angelo is a smaller guy, you know, and plays around the net. He's not going to be the best defender you might want, and he might. You know, he might uh, he might under some forechecking pressure, turn some pucks over too, because guys who handle the puck a lot tend to turn over more pucks. Yeah. But uh, you know, but just in terms of just in terms of transitional game and, and you know, breaking up a certain amount of plays that that if uh, you know that if Justin Braun was defending in the neutral zone, because I I, I I always love Braun in his own end, you mm-hmm. know, where, where he would stick to his guy like glue and he you know took good angles on guys. Uh, was good at tying guys up around the net. You know, yeah, good gaps. Good, very good gaps because because he knew he's not the quickest guy, so he would take the right angles on guys. So you know, there, there's always a give and take there, but I, I think that when you you know when you think of when you think of playing defense, I think you have to think of it as all the elements that are involved in it, not just uh, you know not when you, when you say defense. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces that go into that puzzle. So. You know, there, there are elements in there where D'Angelo excels and other elements where, you know, he's going to need some help from his partner. And and I think some of that balances off of Provorov, too, because, as you said, I don't know if I want Provorov being the guy going back and retrieving behind the net and trying to trying to pass out because, as you said, he will he will turn over his share often by trying to do too much. But if he has yep. – he knows where D'Angelo is, that communication between the two. And, no, yep. no, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, it becomes much less of a factor. It's, yeah. Um, 
And that, that was that, that was the thing with Braun. There's a little trade-off there. You're gonna little have you're gonna have a harder time breaking out of your zone. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not that first pass, you know, puck moving guy. So, you know, I, I think that uh, you know there's potential there. You you know, you know, you know there are gonna be times when when he's caught up ice too. It's just mm-hmm. it's just uh, you know, it, it's all it's all part of it. You hope you hope what comes out ultimately is more more pros than cons. Yeah, and, and as a net positive player, one of the other elements, too, with a D'Angelo Provorov pairing is just the personality difference is so pronounced between those two guys. That, that's going to be interesting to see how those two guys yeah, yeah. Work, work as partners. Yeah, I mean, we'll kind of get into an episode on that as we get closer to camp in maybe late August and talk about, you know, the personalities, the chemistry and all of those elements and how they may work and how they may develop or you know, come together as a group because that's going to be a big part of it. And that's something that John Tortorella is going to be preaching in a big way. And he's going to play that card. Nobody believes in us. I can see the the earmarks of it already. Bill, great job as always. Appreciate it as well. Uh, we'll talk to you next Monday for another edition of Mondays with Meltzer as the hot summer continues. But hockey, not that far off, just around the corner. Rebuild stuff at PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. Always great stuff there. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week on a brand new Flyers Daily.